Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we catch up with Carlton AFLW coach Daniel Harford, co-founder of Ida Sports, Laurie Youngson, the Motor City Muscles, Janet Bayersdorf. There's our State League's wrap with Matthew Cox and Aaron Russell, plus all the latest from London with Mitch Scully. That's all coming up over the next 80 minutes. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and now via Google Podcasts. Also, you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And a friendly note that this weekend we'll be calling two VFL women's matches. On Saturday from 12 noon, it's Collingwood versus Carlton from Warrory Park in Oakley. And Sunday morning from 11am, it's Hawthorne versus Essendon at Box Hill City Oval. Our first guest for this week is no stranger to the station as he co-hosts The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6. But today we speak to him in his capacity as head coach of the Carlton AFLW side. It's great to have back in the studio... Daniel Harford. G'day, Harf. G'day, Pete. Nice to be with you. Great to have you here. Two months into the job at Carlton. Uh, how's it feeling having the Blues hat on? It's uh, it's good. I like having the Blues hat on. I wasn't sure if I'd ever get the chance or, or want to initially um, coach again at this sort of level or be involved at this sort of level, but I'm really enjoying the process. My, my time at Collingwood really got my juices flowing again from a coaching perspective, and uh, it's been a busy couple of months with the Blues because you've mm. got to transfer the list and change it over and go through the trade and sign period and make sure that all the girls you, you want, you keep, um, and the ones you want in from other clubs you get a chance to have a crack at. But it's been a busy period, getting to know all the girls and catching up with them through the last couple of months, but it's been good fun. I've really enjoyed it. Let's step back a moment a year to obviously when you picked up the assistant coaching role, first of all, at Collingwood. Prior to that, you'd been around in men's suburban football for a long time, including a ball and at Scobbs as well. Yep. What made you want to make the jump, not only back into the AFL system, but to switch to women's football? I, I didn't really want to jump back into coaching, to be honest with you, full stop. Women's, AFL, men's, whatever. Um, and I got, I was on holiday in Vietnam with my family last year and I got a Facebook message from Matt James who was the footy manager at Collingwood um, AFLW saying I want to catch up and have a coffee with you and I said what, what's this about just on this Facebook messaging um, he said I want you to be an assistant at Collingwood next year in the, in the W and I sort of I've been out of coaching for it was the first year I'd had out of coaching and I've been coaching for 11 years at local level as you said and I was just ready for a break just needed a spell because it's pretty consuming um, mm. the, the local footy scene pretty competitive as well those levels of play and it was just becoming a bit much with my kids and, and all that sort of stuff and then I showed my wife um, the message while we were on holidays she said why wouldn't you why wouldn't you do it because I explained it was a summer sort of mm. period November through to March she goes why wouldn't you do that it's five months be a great opportunity to see what um, the AFLW competition can give and what you can do for it and what you can help with. Do it. So as soon as I got the all clear from the bride, as often happens in many relationships, I was I was all good to go. And I said to Matty, "Yeah, right. Let's do it. Let's let's catch up and have a chat about it." And as soon as they, um, I met Wayne Seekman, the coach, and Matty, and um, and one of the anal- analysts um, for a bit of a meeting and a catch up, an interview style situation. They really impressed me. Uh, and what they sold to me about the the program and and women's footy in general appealed to me, um, and I said, yeah, let's do it and see see how it went. So I didn't really plan on getting back into it, men's or women's footy. Uh, just the opportunity came, and it was the the right window, I suppose, which opened the door. Taking from your time at Collingwood, what lessons do you think gave you an advantage, particularly in the interview process when you're trying to land the job at Carlton? Well, had I not had that twelve months, I don't think I would have been very good in the interview at all. 
Um, and I don't, I don't think if you haven't been involved in women's footy, you can walk in at, at an AFLW level particularly and, and understand what you're walking into. It's, it's a, just a different world. It just mm. is just the way it is. And what I loved from coaching, um, at Collingwood with the girls was that you, the audience is so entrenched in what you want to say. They can hang on every word you want to say because they haven't had the background in coaching and training that, um, the boys do through the system, just the way the, the game's been set up through the generations. And all of a sudden there's that opportunity. So they, they see there's a light at the end of the tunnel on this AFLW beacon, um, for all girls see out there that play footy and love footy and hopefully one day can get to. They see what that can now look like and they just want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So with that, you get an audience that wants to listen to every word, wants to learn about the game, wants to listen to the coach and play the game the way that it should be played. Um, because it's very limited resources, obviously, local level in girls footy through the journey. It's been underfunded to a massive degree and they haven't had the support or the coaching resources. So finally, they've got that at this level and they just love it and they want to be a part of it and they want every bit of information you, they can get from you, which can be a positive and a negative because sometimes they're, they're so literal with what you say that it's actually not what you want because you phrase things differently. I've, I've had to change my phrasing from coaching men's footy to coaching women's footy because they are more literal and listen to every word and they take it on the words as opposed to perhaps the, the, the meaning and the, and the broader term, yeah. terminology you're trying to get to. Um, so had I had not had that 12 months at Collingwood, I don't think I would have been a very good candidate at all for Carlton in this AFLW system. And I probably wouldn't have applied, to be honest with you, because I wouldn't have known what I was walking into. But now I do. I'm really excited about the opportunity. I, I sort of get the, the women's footy world now a little bit. Not Certainly not um, fully, but much more than I did 12 months ago. Um, and I'm very excited about what I think I can bring to the Carlton program this year with the girls. Is it safe to say you were applying for the Duffs job in women's football? Not only, obviously, the position that Carlton were on the ladder, but prior to that, they made a lot of movements in the trade period prior when Harris came down from Brisbane to yep. send up uh, Exxon um, at air up to uh, Brisbane for her and then obviously gave away a number of draft picks to get Nicholas Stevens. Yeah. So they put them in a bit of a pickle and, and they probably didn't get the best out of last year's draft. Do you find that as a bit behind the eight ball where you're starting? No, so I, I don't. That was one of the reasons I really was keen to apply for the position because mm. having coached against them in that round one game where I think Collingwood outplayed Carlton mm. significantly but lost the game, yeah. uh, but seeing the, the list and watching that through the year, and once you're in the system, you, you just pay attention to the, the rest of the games. You watch all the games and you work out who can play and, and what you think you might be able to do with it. And oh, I do that for every team. Um, how would I coach that girl and, and what would I do with her if all the way through the last season. So I just got the opportunity to apply for the Carlton job. And I saw a pretty good list. And everything that could go wrong, I think, for Carlton did go wrong mm. last year. And you look at losing Bree Davey, who's clearly one of the premier players in the competition mm. in round two against GWS. Uh, Damien Keeping, obviously, had a couple of weeks off. He was unwell. So you lose your senior coach and your captain and probably your best player in the space of four or five days. And what that does to the club environment, let alone the team morale, mm. changes significantly. So I think no doubt that had a huge impact on on the girls and on the performance last year. And they just lost their way a little bit. And then things started to break down and it collapsed pretty quick. But I don't think that was because it was a bad list or a bad team or they were poorly coached. It was just um, incidents through the year that just became issues that probably most teams didn't have to deal with through the other um, the other seven teams in the competition. So I, I sort of dismissed the outcome last year for Carlton, I just think it was just one of those years that you just write off and say, righto, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and now we've got to get it back on track. And I thought I could be someone that could come in and, and hopefully write that ship pretty quickly. 
leading up to the hours before you finally get the phone call and you're confirmed as Carlton coach, you're kind of, I guess, in your mind, walking a tightrope a bit because you're loyal to Collingwood at that stage because at that moment they're your employer and they're yep. trying to get Bree Davey. Yes. And then, of course, you've got that moment where you have been offered the job. Now it completely flips. You're trying to keep Bree Davey at Carlton. <laughs> yes. How long was it between the moment you got given the job to picking up the phone to calling Bree saying, we need to have a coffee? Uh, it wasn't very long at all, <laughs> having been on the other side of the negotiation. And I wasn't involved in the yeah. negotiation per se, but obviously knew what was happening from a Collingwood perspective. Mm. Um, so I, I knew that they were very keen and it would have been an attractive proposition considering what had happened last year in yep. Carlton perhaps for Breed to, to move on. But I knew from a Carlton perspective that we needed to keep Breed Davies. So it was very, very quick. It wasn't long at all. I can't give you the hours, but it wasn't many bef- between uh, accepting the job and ringing Breed and saying we need to catch up and have a, have a chat about life. Um, and, and in fairness, she was, she was great. I don't think she actually really, I'm speaking for her and I probably shouldn't, but, she ever really wanted to go. She just wanted to know that Carlton was was on the right track, mm. uh, and that there was going to be some some hope and some. Uh, Brendan Bolton would say, "Blue skies ahead," and yeah. um, with some green shoots. Um, and and I think I was able to allay those fears pretty quickly for her. And and soon as we I left that meeting, I thought, "There's no way she'll she'll leave." Um, mm. She was really invested in the club, yeah. and I think that was really important. The opportunity was there, and it's always nice when someone comes knocking and. And tells you you're wonderful and, and, mm. and, and, and the like. And it's very flattering. So you, you, uh, entertain that and that advance. But I think she was always wanted to be at Carlton and she's really invested in the, in the group as well as the footy team. Um, so I wasn't surprised when she committed again to, to the footy club. It's very pleasing. Um, but it says to me that she sees a fair bit of, bit of hope and possibility about the, what the team can achieve as well. And on that for the entire squad, how much of a morale booster is it when you consider that if she had gone, like Lauren has already now gone to the Brisbane Lions, yep. that would have been the first two captains out the door. Yeah. The media would have latched onto that negative press out there. And let's be honest, players do read the press, then all of a sudden that starts to get in their heads. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how it would have affected. What I have loved about this group is how tight they are. So if they had a lost Bree on the back of Lauren as well, I think it would have been a pretty big dint to the confidence of the group um, and, and just the chemistry, I suppose, and the morale around the group. Thankfully, that hasn't happened, but I think it probably would have been a, a pretty big blow. I think I don't think anyone can afford to to lose their best players and their best leaders um, in a bunch, and we've seen it with St Kilda at, at the AFL level. When you lose their best players and leaders in Montagna, Rewalt and Dempster, all of a sudden, that, that void needs to be filled, and if it's not filled, you can have really dire consequences. So that may have been an outcome for us at, at the Blues. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to worry about it. Not only were you sitting there for your first trade period, but an unusual trade period. It's expansion time. How does it feel to be a new coach and a bit of a sitting duck? Because <laughs> here comes North Melbourne and Geelong doing as they please, grabbing who they want. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit unnerving uh, because they you know that they're going to come for your better players. Um, now, they've got to fit them all in the tiered contract system, which you, you can't get all the best players, but you can get a couple of really good players. Some key cogs on the wheel. Yeah, some key cogs. And certainly from, from Carlton's perspective, I mean, Danny Hardiman and um, and Gillespie Jones are going to be really big losses, both good defenders, key defenders, who can do a job on players and be quite attacking as well. So they'll be losses that we need to fill and be really serious about um, getting the right stocks to fill that those holes that they leave. So it was a bit... A bit uh, Annoying is probably the word I'll use, but it was just one of those things that you couldn't control it, and you were just hoping like hell that they didn't get a hold of too many of your good players, and it left you with too big a hole to fill. Because the compensation that the, the AFL um, came up with was never going to fill the quality of players that 
Geelong or North took from any club. It just they couldn't do it because of the draft picks that they were going to get anyway. Geelong and North are always going to get access to the, the best kids in the draft. Um, now, North have sort of been pushed to the back end because of the quality of players they're able to attract. But Geelong have still got the best kids coming to them through their Geelong region, um, which leaves a, a whole pool of talent that you haven't got access to effectively. Um, so it was it was one of those situations where you think, just don't take all of their good players. Just don't mm. take the ones that really are going to matter and be our, our true leaders and, and better players through the year. Um, and they took two, which are going to hurt. There's no doubt they'll hurt. Hopefully we can fill that void pretty quickly. And I think when we got Millie Barden in from Collingwood, um, she's not a key defender by any means, but she's a tractor. She's a terrific ball winner, a great athlete, and I think she'll provide a hell of a, a lot of drive for us through the middle of the ground. And you get pick 14 on top of that um, for the Matty Gay deal, then I think um, we've come out of the whole period pretty well, I reckon, considering what's happened to some other teams. Is it an indication that you may be playing as a smaller side coming into 2019 when you've lost the tallness of Kate Gillespie-Jones? Kate Sheilor has been delisted as yep. well. Um, before maybe Carlton's criticism was that they were too tall. When you throw in that Downey was in the ruck as well, you had Moody in there as well. Does this indicate the style of football that you want to play going forward? I think it indicates the style of footy that the game demands. Um, we saw in the first year... Well, sorry, from the second year to the first year, and I wasn't a part of the first season of mm-hmm. AFLW, that the the um, requirements physically on the girls went up about 50%. It was about 6Ks a game in the first year, but mm-hmm. it's about 9Ks a game covered yeah. by the girls in the second year. So I think that showed everyone in the AFLW system that the game is not going to just sit there and be this long bomb, kick it, and just see some, if someone can mark it game. It is going to be a dynamic game. Um, and I think that's caught everyone... Not by surprise, but it certainly caught their attention. And you, you get player acquisitions, um, are done on the, on the back of that. So I think you're right. I think there won't be as many big, tall players in the competition because the grounds are too big. Not too big, but the grounds are big. Um, the girls can't kick it as far or run as far. So getting the ball from end to end requires movement, really quick movement. And tall players who aren't overly athletic or can't catch it or don't impact the contest, aren't overly helpful in that regard. So I think that you'll see, as you rightly predict, um, a more dynamic game with mid-sized players and players that can cover the ground more because of the demands of the, of the grounds. I think that's a really key component of, of the game because you've got players who can't cover the ground as quickly as, as the guys or kick it as far, but you've got the same length field. It's actually harder for the girls. And two less players, it's actually harder for the girls to move the ball. Uh, from end to end. So mm, I think mm. coaches have worked out that you've got to find players that can run and carry and, and break the game open with leg speed or ball use, quick ball use, um, to get it from end to end. And based upon that as well, um, as we're talking about the, the game style that you may introduce, what did you actually pitch to Carlton? Because we know of the cliche in men's football about the five-year plan, but a five-year plan in men's football, excluding finals, is roughly 120 games. <laughs> that same time period in female football is only about 40 games. So what can you sell as a vision to Carlton? It was, it's a one-year pl- one-game plan. You've got to be good the next game. And that's that's the reality of the competition. Yeah. It's a seven-week season. There is some suggestion it might be a five-week season. Um, if they go to conferences, I'm not sure how it's going to work out from the AFL's perspective. So you haven't got time to be playing three and four years down the track. That's that's careers for players uh, at this level of footy, this evolution of, of the game. So we've got to be better and best in game one next year. Hmm. Um, so I, I didn't sell a, a plan as such. What, what I sold is we've got to be really good at the simple things. And I think that goes for men's footy as well. If you can't play simple, uh, you can't do the really simple things well, then you can't be a good footy team. And I know that, that's just, I don't think that matters at any level. Junior footy, senior footy, men's, women's, it doesn't matter. If you can't do the simple things really well, you can't win. 
So we'll be, be very focused on, on the really simple things, the fundamentals of footy. Um, obviously positional play, ground balls, kicking, marking, handballing, a bit of pattern and movement stuff. But if you can't get the fundamentals right, you can't win. So mm-hmm. I, I think from my coaching experience so far in um, in men's footy and even watching the game unfold last year and, and Collingwood adjusting their style midway through the season, getting better results in the mm-hmm. second half of the season in the AFLW, I think it's really about getting the easy thing done really well and really often. And I think if you can do that, you'll be pretty good. You're just talking then about the fundamentals of the game. For Carlton's stats for the previous season, they were sixth in disposal efficiency, uh, second in clangers, yep. and goal accuracy was at 27.3%. Yep. What can be done to fix that in, I guess, a relatively short period of time? Well, that's a, that's a system issue, uh, but it's also a fundamental issue with the, the clangers. But the other numbers that were really uh, relevant to to me in the preparation for the job were we were eighth in hard ball gets, seventh in loose ball gets, eighth in clearances, but number one in taps. So there's a big golf in mm. in getting the hand on the ball and then not getting it or getting it going forward. So there's a whole lot of areas we just couldn't get our hands on the ball. I think mm. differential wise per game it was minus 43 possessions a game to our opponents. You can't win the ball the game if you haven't got the ball. So we we just got to be able to win the ball. And certainly from a scoring perspective, an accuracy perspective, that's a bit of a system issue. But you can't actually score if you haven't, can't get the ball in the first place to get it down there. So we've, we've got to take it back to the source before we're worried about the outcome or how we get to the goals and points. We've got to worry about the source before we get too deep into that stuff yet. We've got to be able to win the footy first and foremost. Darcy Vessia had a quiet year last year compared to a, a standout 2017 when she won the league goal kicking. Do you think that's a reflection of the rule that was brought in where it's now last touch out of bounds. And because of that, you can't work as wide to the pockets where someone like Avisio would do her trade. Yeah, well, I think she was a victim of, of again, not getting enough of the ball and getting enough ball inside her areas last year. But also, um, I just think when you, with a player like Darcy, who's so dynamic, oh, gee, she's impressed me so much in, in a couple of VFL games she played before she had a bit of a holiday. Um, I think there's a whole lot more to give for Darcy. She's not just that player you put in the forward 50 and just let her go. She's so aware in in traffic. She's got such great skills and agility and, mm. and great vision. I think there's a hell of a lot more to Darst than just kicking goals and mm. and being that goal scorer. I think, I think Carlton um, need to have more options going forward. She was pretty much the, the kingpin yeah. uh, for a lot of the season last year. Taylor had her cracks at it as well, of course, uh, but she was the one that they relied on. And I, but I just don't think that's necessarily her, her bread and butter. I think there's more to her game. She's a better mm. player than just being that mm. forward player. Clearly, hitting the scoreboard effectively is a really important part of women's footy, yep. and we'll need her to do that. But I see her playing a bit more of a, a role up the ground as well this year with the Blues, which will be, I think, for her, really exciting, and, and our fans as well, because she's got so much talent. It'd be great to see. Now, obviously, you have uh, pick number three in the draft, so you'll be looking at some of the best under-18 talent that are going around to see if you can get your hands on. Yep. What do you place a greater emphasis on out of the following? Do you place a greater emphasis on their form from the TAC Cup girls competition, uh, playing either at the Nationals, which is on right now for the under-18 women, uh, their role as either a 23rd player, if they play in the VFL women's, or their combine testing? What do you place a greater emphasis on? Oh, I think your national championship performance is pretty important. Yeah. Um, that's the best of the best. Um, up against each other. If they play a 23rd game, certainly pay attention to that, see how they go. But I think your performance under pressure is what makes and breaks a player, mm. I reckon. And there is a lot of pressure on these girls now with the opportunities that, that are abound with the AFLW competition. And, and I think a lot of them sense it. Some of them love it. 
and some of them um, don't quite deal with the pressure very well. And that's that's the same with the under-18s boys as well through their national championships. So you just get a, a read into the personality and what players are able to cope with. So I have a lot of um, emphasis on that. Um, their performance at TRC Cup, the best players are normally the best players, so they stand out and that's why they get to the national championships and not get too worried about that. But it's also you've got to have a vision for potential and scope for improvement. Um you don't want to, I don't think you want to have a ready-made player who comes in and that's their, obviously their peak mm-hmm. at under 18 or national championship level. They've got to be able to develop. They're going to be long-term good players for your club. So you've got to have um, a bit of a window into what their scope is, but their performance at national championships will certainly a big factor in, in my decision-making. Combine testing, I'm not too stressed about it. Their, their numbers, you can get caught up in the, the raw data physically, but if you can play the game, I'm much more impressed by that. Now, I believe being out to see a few VFLW games, what do you think of the standard this year, particularly since we've had the shake-up and a bunch of new teams enter the competition? Yeah, well, I hadn't seen it before that this year, so I haven't got too big a history in it, but I've been suitably impressed um, with the games that I've seen. Obviously, the Carlton mm-hmm. girls have been playing most of those. The Geelong game a couple of weeks ago was, was a terrific contest down there at GMHBA, and we lost that game late because um, Geelong were, were too dynamic in the end, which was a disappointment for us. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the, the standard's pretty good. Having seen the AFL W, I was expecting a, a significant drop. I don't think it's a significant drop. It's a drop, clearly, mm-hmm. uh, because you haven't got the best players playing every week. But I think they're being coached better now, and it goes back to that conversation we are having before about resources and, and pathway opportunities. I think the players now have been taught much better through the last couple of years, 15, 16, 17s, 18s, and their VFL as well. They've got better pathway coaches, better pathway programs physically from a condition perspective, and you're getting better results. So I expect the next five years to be a significant jump again in terms of the quality of play just because we'll get better athletes, probably first-choice athletes now that there's a career path and an opportunity to make some money out of AFL footy as a, as a woman or as a girl. Um, so you get first-choice athletes, better coached from under-12s through the pathway program, and they'll be ready to go like Chloe Malloy and Monique Conti last year, and they'll change games. And I think that's going to be very, very exciting for the whole competition. Talking about uh, athletes and pathways, obviously we have listening to our program a number of women who play the game at the moment in the USA, in Canada and in London. So, in fact, have actually relocated to Melbourne to try and make it to AFLW. Uh, Carlton technically uh, recruited the first international footballer with even though she was an Australian-born, uh, Kate Shearlaw, they recruited her out of the London competition, out of the Wimbledon Hawks. At all, as a coach, have you cast an eye at all at the international scene, even a curious glance to see what is out there? I haven't personally, but we have um, someone that does that for us that sort of goes a bit far and wide and throws some things at us from, from left field. It's uh, my, my focus has to be around the domestic scene and the local mm. scene and work out what we can get, uh, purely for convenience. Because it's it's difficult to rip people out from the yeah. other side of the world to play footy. Mm. It's a big move for for four months or five months, yeah. and and not a lot of dollars in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Um, so it's it's not really something that I invest my time in, but I have someone that does do that and filter me through information about players that perhaps might be up to up to the standard. To have a bit of a look at on video or or the like. So there is that that going that conversation going on. I'm not too heavily involved in, it, I must say, but if the opportunity arises that we can get one, I'm all for it including particularly looking at Gaelic football, as we saw the Cora Staughton um, experiment yeah. at GWS, which was successful, and uh, Sarah Rowe, I believe it is, uh, yep. from County Mayo, so coming over and shopping herself around Melbourne clubs. Yeah, she had a, ch- a chat to a few of the clubs, Sarah. Um, she's a very impressive young lady. Yeah. She's 22. She's big business in Gaelic footy in Ireland. Um, a really real pocket dynamo, like she's yeah. a good athlete. And... 
because you've got that Gaelic background where they can hold the ball and, and get it to boot um, mm. in a kicking motion. Now it's a slightly different, of course, with the, the round ball to the, the Aussie rules ball. Um, you, you're uh, you're advanced. You're a chance with those players because they've, kicking's one of the hardest skills clearly to to master. Uh, but they have a good hand-eye situation going on already. So Sarah, she'd be attractive for a lot of um, clubs. I, I don't know if she went into state, but she certainly had a chat to the four or five clubs in Melbourne. Um, and and they would be, we would be silly not to have a chat to see if we can try and land a player like Sarah because she's professional, she's really fit, um, she's a competitor, and she's 22, and she can kick. So they're pretty good starts, I reckon. And uh, one just last one on VFLW, just jumping back for a moment. Shannon McFerrin is obviously your coach at that level, a yes. legend throughout women's football, a champion of the game. How have you seen her coaching at this level, and what do you see for her as a future in the AFLW level? I think she's a star. Shan, I was, it was the first thing I was going to do when I got the job, because she was with me at Collingwood last year as my assistant. Yep. Assistant assistant, if that makes sense. Um, and I didn't use her anywhere near as much as I should have. Um, and I don't know why I didn't do that. I probably got caught up in trying to just get things right through that, that first cu- tough couple of weeks. But she is an absolute jet. Clearly, her record as a player um, needs no introduction. She's an absolute star of the game from women's footy perspective. And she's got a great mind for the game. That's why I got her across talking to her last year at Collingwood. Mm-hmm. You knew she, she had a great insight into the game, and she just picked things up really quickly. So I was really keen to make sure she was part of my coaching panel. She's coaching the VFLW team and doing a great job. And I think she's loving it, and she really blossomed in the last two months uh, that she's been involved in the program. She'll be my senior assistant in the AFLW program, and I have no doubt that in time she will be an AFLW coach because she gets it, she gets women's footy, she understands the level, and she can coach it. She's a teacher by trade, which helps she can coach. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing for anyone involved in the competition in our, in our positions. It's all very well to manage, but we need to be teachers and coaches and be able to get our message across and teach the players what we want. And Shannon is terrific at that. She's got a great rapport with the girls, but she can coach, and that's important. And she's doing a hell of a job. One last one before we let you go, Half. Have you made the most of your 20% discount yet at the Carlton Merchandise Shop? Not yet, but I've got a scarf I've been eyeing off in the window, and I'm going to buy it. I've been more worried about sitting in my free car park uh, at, at Icon Park and just admiring the view. Uh, but it's it's great. It's a good footy club. I was, that's funny, the, the, the uh, Seek.com ad with a 20% merchandise discount was a bit humorous, and I did use that in my interview. I, I ran with that as one of the little dad gags I ran with. Uh, and I got a bit of a laugh from the panel, which was cool. But uh, no, I haven't quite used it yet, but I'll, I'll buy you a hat. How about that? 20% off. Sounds nice. <laughs> uh, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And I uh, best let, let you go to bed so you can wake up tomorrow morning bright and early at 6 for the breakfast club. I better do that. Otherwise, I'll be grumpy. but not do that. Good on you, Pete. Nice to chat. Time to head over to the United States where the season there is fully underway. And for some clubs, they're looking forward to the Eastern Regionals Tournament to be held in Philadelphia this weekend. But we're going to head across to Michigan, where in the Motor City of Detroit, they're starting up a new Women's Australian Rules Football Club. That's very exciting. And joining us on the line to talk about the Motor City muscle, we've got the founder of the team in Janet Bayersdorf. Janet, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. And as everyone would hear by the accent in your voice, you're not an Aussie, you're an American. So the question has to go out there. How does a Yank get involved in Aussie Rules Football? Um, well, I was actually very lucky as a kid to spend most of my primary school years in Melbourne. Um, and so I got exposed to footy there. Um, didn't really play, um, but learned the game, enjoyed watching it. 
Um, and then when we moved back stateside, uh, my dad started playing with the USAFL um, right in the early years. Um, and then he eventually became the East Coast vice president um, and was really supportive of the women's game, uh, knowing that, you know, one day my little sister and I might benefit from having the opportunity to play stateside. And you did end up finding a um, club in the end, didn't you? Um, but first of all, not in, obviously in the Michigan area, out on the East Coast at uh, New York City. Yeah, um, I moved to New York in 2012 and uh, met Andrea Casillas and Christina Okada and was really welcomed into the New York Magpie family. Um, and I played five really great seasons and then got sidelined after a couple of concussions and uh, came back to coach with under Christina in 2017, um, which was right before my husband and I moved here to Michigan. How would you have described yourself as a footballer with the Magpies? Um, I was uh, generally full forward or center half um, and uh, had a big kick, um, decent hands, <laughs> um, and I was, I'm was i a sizable woman, and so I was always a pretty strong target, um, had a lot of height on a lot of the other women in the league, and so it kind of put me in an advantage in the forward line. Jumping back to 2012 to when you were recruited by the Magpies, how did that happen? Did you approach them, or did they approach you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um my dad had played for the North Carolina Tigers, um, and so I knew that the Tigers were coming up to New York for a game, and so I actually went out to watch, and as I was looking for the location of the field and all of that, I realized that I was suddenly in a city where they had a women's team, and so I emailed uh, Andrea and... Uh, he was like, oh, my gosh, yes, come out. And um, they were all very excited to have me out. We were in a kind of rebuilding stage of the team at that time. And uh, so it was a very exciting time to become a magpie. As you said, uh, about a year or so ago, yourself and your husband moved out to Michigan. How dif- difficult is that for an Aussie rules lover in the United States? Moving to a state where, at the time, it was a bit of an Aussie rules wasteland. Not much was happening there probably would have been a more difficult decision if I hadn't been sidelined um, and uh, kind of dealing with some uh, persistent issues that stemmed from those concussions. Um, and uh, because I had that, you know, half of a season of coaching under my belt and a lot of support from the women in New York and the women around the country who are part of our community. Um, I was really excited, honestly, about the idea that I could come in and try and get something started. We're always interested in how things start from grassroots when the first idea comes to starting a club. So you're there, you want to start a club. What's your first step? Um, So I realized that the first thing that I needed to do was to acquire some more women's footies. Um, and so I, uh, the USAFL women have a 
Facebook page and where we kind of talk about things. And um, so I posted a message asking for any advice or, you know, if anyone had any like old balls that they were willing to donate. And um, from that conversation, I got linked up with another woman here who played a season in Columbus and, you know, had moved away and uh, wanted to keep playing, but didn't really know where to start. And so she and I met up and got some coffee and uh, started talking about what we could do to really get this thing going. Um, I think the most difficult thing for me is um, because I don't have a community established here that I know um, I have friends or, you know, other women who I think might be a good fit or might want to just come out and try it out. It's difficult to find women who are interested. Um, but we have been doing a lot of uh, social media marketing and um, I'm going to a roller derby tournament tomorrow to see if I can recruit some strong roller derby women. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so I think it's really just kind of touch and go, uh, trying different things and seeing what comes out. For those that are not looking at a map of America at this moment, who would you say are your closest clubs to Michigan? Um, so there is um, the Columbus uh, Jack and Jillaroos. Um, and that's about, I believe, three hours south of us. Um, we also have um, a couple of women in Chicago that play with the men's clubs and then kind of join in with uh, the women at our bigger tournaments and stuff. Um, and then actually we are pretty close to Toronto, Canada as well. Has there been talk of possibly getting an exhibition game down there? That is, obviously, those nearby clubs playing a game in your area to try and stir some interest for football in Detroit. Um, yes, we have had conversations about it. Um, and there is definitely um, an interest. I think the biggest challenge um, for those clubs and for myself as well is figuring out what a good location for that would be um, and kind of um, how we go about um, putting that together when none of us are particularly familiar with the area that well. Um, luckily, um, as we're meeting more both women from the area and um, there's also a, a man who is in the area who played for a little while in Baltimore, um, you know, trying to help get things going, getting uh, both men and women out. Um, you know, those people are kind of good contacts for us to have that kind of know better, you know, where are good locations and, and fields that we could use that would be the proper size and all of that. You actually had a bit of a trial day uh, back in May. How did the first original trial or training run go for your side, and how many numbers did you get along? Um, so there were eight of us, um, which I actually was pleasantly surprised about. Um, I knew for sure that there would be four of us, um, so to get double that was really great. Um, one of the people that came out um, was a man... 
uh, an Aussie who brought his two teenage uh, children, um, a boy and girl, 14 and 16, respectively. Um, and it was really fun to have them there to play as well. And I'm really hoping that she um, will be interested in uh, kind of continuing to train with us a little bit until she's old enough to play in the USAFL. You ended up choosing the name Motor City Muscle. How did that come about? Um, Well, Detroit, you know, is the Motor City capital of these states. Um, And you can tell just by the way that people drive around here. They drive like maniacs. Um, And so the muscle car um, era was really born right here in Detroit. And so as we were throwing out names, uh, Margaret came up with Motor City Muscle and we loved it. And uh, the response online has been really great. It's fantastic to hear that everyone loves it because there's many unique names in the um, USAFL, including Portland Sockeyes and the San Francisco Iron Maidens, just to name a few. So it certainly caught the attention. Um, I also saw as well on Facebook there's a Detroit footy page. I'm guessing that's a men's club set up on the other side of town? Um, Yeah, so that's um, Bob um, who played for um, Baltimore. Um, And uh, when I was working on putting this together... Um, I couldn't find anything um, about Detroit footy. And I talked to um, some people in the in the community, and they were like, yeah, I haven't heard anything. Um, but Brian Barish um, sent me a message and said, you know, you should try and link up with Bob and see if you guys can put together, like, a full club. And so um, he's been a great support um, very enthusiastic um, and a lot of fun to play with, for sure. That is great to hear. Now, before we let you go, Janet, most importantly, if anyone knows anyone in Detroit, they've got friend or family there and they want them to sign up to play for the Motor City Muscle, where can they find you? Um, so we are on Facebook um, at Motor City Muscle Australian Football Club. Um, and... Um, we are also on meetup.com, and uh, you can message me on Facebook, or um, I'm Janet Bagel on Facebook, and, um, you know, I'd love to hear from you for sure. And that's about Janet, B-E-Y-G-E-L, which I'm told is a combination of a couple of names, which is interesting to see, <laughs> but, but, but great at the same time. Janet, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we wish you all the very best as you build up women's football in Michigan with the Motor City Muscle. Thank you so much. And for US footy fans, we hope to have Brian Barish on next week to review the Eastern Regionals Tournament in Philadelphia and preview the AFL Canada Nationals, which are coming up on June 30th and July 1st. Now, you may have seen on the news a week or so ago, Ida Sports, it's a new startup company, and they're designing a footy boot specifically for women. And that's what you're thinking. Aren't all footy boots the same? Well, I've got Laura Youngson on the line, the co-founder of Ida Sports. And I asked her that question. Isn't a footy boot designed for everybody? Yeah, well, actually, one of the really interesting things that we've been looking into is actually how much uh, women's and men's feet are fundamentally different. So if you're wearing the wrong boots and most women are wearing men's or kids' boots to play in, um, you're actually putting yourself at risk of injuries. And, um, yeah, your feet are completely 
well, there are, there are very significant differences. Let's rewind back for a moment. This company to design the football boot that you are going to put to market, Ida Sports, was began in 2017 when you met Ben Sandu. Can you explain how the conversation came about to meet and begin this process of developing football boots specifically for women? Yeah, so um, actually Ben and I met playing futsal, which is indoor soccer. Um, kind of have a like really shared love of the game and of sports. And I was explaining to him about how I always wear kid boots. And I find it very frustrating because I can't, can't buy a boot that works for me. And he just, he, it was, came as a complete shock. He'd never had this experience before. And, um, as a, as a guy playing sport, always just go into the store, buy a shoe. If it doesn't work, buy another shoe. And so for him, it was kind of this, um, moment where he's like, ah, this is really actually a problem for people. And I would love to be part of the solution to try and change things for women playing sport. So the company just grew from there, really. In 2017, just a year ago to the part now where obviously you're fundraising uh, for Ida Sports, what was the next step? After you've obviously chatted saying, hey, let's start a company, let's build a women's football boot, what's the first thing that you're looking at on the process to design your prototype? So really we started by looking, completely taking a shoe back to first principles, like what actually makes up a shoe. So I started experimenting in my kitchen, bought a few supplies from Bunnings and um cooked up the first outsole just so that we could really understand what it takes to build a shoe um realized we were onto something and realized that actually then we could take it further and build a brand um and we're now at the point where we've got our prototypes and we're kind of ready to go looking at that prototype what are some of the notable differences as you mentioned is it to do with the heel area is it a smaller arch if a person was to look at that compared to a men's boot what's some of the noticeable differences yeah so really the biggest thing is around fit um, women have, as I said, like, uh, narrow heel cups. They have, we have a different length to width ratio. So often if women have had this experience of buying shoes, you tend to buy it a bit smaller so it can fit around the heel, but actually then your toes are squashed in. Um, we have higher arches in general. Um, and then the, the biggest one really for me, the one that I find most interesting is that because our hips are set slightly further apart, the way we pressure load it differently. And this is really important for sport because if you're wearing cleats and obviously where your foot bends, that has a really big impact. So we've had uh, stories of women shaving down the, the cleats under their, the stud under their big toe, um, duct taping the shoes together so they get the right um, like sort of support around there. So it's really that there are these kind of crucial differences that need to be addressed. Is there actually any specific data around uh, women wearing men's boots and them contributing to any injuries? It's really we're reaching the kind of forefront of the research because of the illusion in women's sports really over the last few years so um there's been a bit of research into soccer cleats um and really with these recommendations are starting to come out from um, different researchers that we should be looking into this more closely and people should be paying more attention to what they wear and absolutely um that we want to try and cut down on these injuries and hopefully this boot is going to happen as you said you around um uh, around March 2018, you had your prototype testing. Um, were you originally beginning with soccer players? Were you beginning with Aussie rules players? And what was the initial feedback? Yeah, so we tested it with uh, first with soccer players, and then we've just been testing with Aussie rules players over the last month. And um, really, the, the feedback we've been getting is fantastic. It's helped us to develop the next step of the shoe, really making something that's first and foremost, comfortable, comfortable to wear so that when you're running, you, you don't ha- end up with blisters and, and bunions. And then sort of second after that is looking into the style and the design because obviously everyone wants to wear something that looks cool. 
So um, we've been actually asking women what they wanted in a boot and really getting that feedback and designing according to, to what really, really works for everyone. You've mentioned as well that you've gone with kangaroo leather. Can you explain the types of materials that were available and why kangaroo leather is best suited to a boot for women? Yeah, I mean, most of the materials on the market at the moment are kind of plastic-based materials. Um, and I don't think they have, especially if you're wearing kids' boots, you don't have the same breathability or the same kind of moldability to your feet. And kangaroo leather just has this incredible quality. A lot of the, the pro footballers wear it, and it, has, it enables your feet to kind of mold into the shoe. Where at the same time, you've got this nice tensile strength, and it's really it's a great material to work with. Now, you've begun an Indiegogo page. Now, I believe at the moment you're around 17000 US into reaching your goal of $35,000 US. Uh, can you explain what, I guess, the money goes towards about this initial fundraising that you are doing with Indiegogo? Yeah, so we've just um, got this page up and running because we really want to take this boot to market. So the the campaign is actually crowdfunding for our first production run. So people can hop on there, buy a boot, buy um, a t-shirt to support us, or if you just enjoy what we're doing and really want to support the cause, then um, there's ways you can do that as well. And uh, really enable us to get this product out there, get it to market, and get it on the feet of all the women and girls who are playing sport. Now, as you mentioned, um, the boots are available for purchase on there. So it's not a case of you're just throwing money out there and you're never seeing it again. Women can actually purchase the boots now. Indeed. So purchase the boot now and then we'll go through a testing program and then deliver by December. Now, on your uh, official page on Indiegogo, you talk about the um, timeline that you've got going forward. You mentioned testing with clubs in Melbourne in August 2018. What will that involve? So we've had a few clubs sign up already with lots of um, girls that want to be able to get the boots on, really test them, sample them and help us with the feedback just to make sure that we've got all the details right. Um, so if people want to be part of that um, journey, they're more than welcome to get in touch and we can come down to your club and kind of tell you all about the boots and try them on. Once uh, you start shipping, uh, I guess, the merchandise in August 2018 uh, through to December 2018, uh, what is the next step from there? Is it selling the boots exclusively online? Is it talking with major retailers to get them in store? What's the next step? Well, we've had a bit of interest already. Um, We've actually had quite a lot of interest, um, especially from women around the world who are fascinated and really want to buy the boots. Um, We'd love to do something. Melbourne's obviously a fantastic sporting hub so we'd love to do something here in Melbourne maybe a pop-up store um, and looking ahead we've had other sports contact us that are really interested in what we're doing so maybe build it out uh, looking at rugby looking at uh, powerlifting and so on. Are you surprised in a way that some of the big names that the Nikes the Adidas the Reeboks etc of the world haven't latched on already to a women's football boot considering how much advertising they pour into um, uh, marketing to females, most of it around gym and activewear, et cetera. Yeah, I just think it's it's um, an area that's been really overlooked um, because there's so much so much happening with the men's game. And for me, I just I feel this really big disconnect between the, the passion that I was seeing in the grassroots and the numbers of girls and women playing these sports and then um, really the being undersold in the from the big brands they're just not taking as much of an interest so I really want 
um, our company to kind of fill that gap and really be there for the women's game, invest in the women's game, and hopefully get everyone out there with the right equipment. Now, in 2019, will be season three of the uh, AFL Women's Competition, and as well, it's the uh, Women's World Cup for soccer. Um, do you see that as a big year for Ida Sports? Have you been chatting with AFLW clubs or trying to find a nation you can hook up with in the Women's World Cup to uh, launch that boot? Yeah, so we've already started discussions with um, some of the clubs and then also some of the, the teams that are looking out there. But for us, it's really, we're so keen to get involved in the game um, and really get the boots out there. Once we've um, worked with the clubs here in Melbourne, then really to take it globally is the dream. And just before we let you go again, Laura, if people want to know more about the boot, take a closer look at it. What can they do? Where can they go? So if you're in Melbourne, get in touch and we'll be able to come and test with you uh, in your club. And then if you want to have a look at the on the website on the Indiegogo campaign, uh, check us out. At, we're at idlesports.co and you can check out a video and the story of how we came to be and what we've been up to. Well, Laura, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we wish you all the very best with the launch of the new women's footy boot available through Ida Sports. Awesome. Thank you. Time for our State League's wrap. Let's first of all look at what happened in the WAWFL over the weekend in the league division. Round 10 was played on the Saturday. South Fremantle one straight six. Went down to the Peel Thunderbirds 22-15-147. Claremont 4-5-29 were defeated by Subiaco 7-7-49. East Fremantle 22-19-151 walloped the Perth Angels. No score. And West Perth 5-6-36 defeated by Swan Districts 9-9-63. Turning to round 11 this weekend on Saturday, 5pm at Jundalup Arena, West Perth host Subiaco. Sunday games, 2pm Claremont Oval, Claremont hosts one districts. 2pm Sunday at East Fremantle Oval, the East Fremantle Sharks host the Peel Thunderbirds. And 2.30pm at Fremantle Oval, South Fremantle host the Perth Angels. Again, that game, a Sunday match. Let's have a look at the ACT competition, the AFL Canberra First grade women's comp, round seven played over the weekend. Gungarlan one eleven seventeen defeated by Balconan 6-4-40. Ainsley 4-7-31 were defeated by Eastlake 6-7-43, while Quimbian 4-7-31 defeated Tugranong just the four behind. To round eight action, all games on Saturday, 10 a.m. at Allen Ray Oval, Ainsley hosts Quimbian, 11.30 a.m. at Greenway Oval, Tugranong hosts Balconnen, and 12 p.m. at the UNSW Canberra Oval, Eastlake hosts Gungarlan. Now, Lauren Hodgson is away for a couple of weeks. At the moment, she's over in Vegas, having a good time there. So I'll just quickly go through the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division results round nine for you. Uh, all games were played on the Saturday. Western Wolves, one behind, were defeated by the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Stingrays, 9-12-66. UTS Shamrocks, 1-2-8, defeated by Macquarie University, 5-10-40. Auburn Penrith Giants, 9-6-60, defeated Newtown Breakaways, 1-1-7. While the Sydney Uni Bombers, 2-7-19, were defeated by the Southern Power, 5-7-37. Looking to round 10 action all games on Saturday at 8.40am, kicking the dew off the grass at Pick and Oval. The Western Wolves host the Sydney Uni Bombers. At Waratah Oval, 11.50am, Southern Power host the Auburn Penrith Giants. At Village Green at 1.20pm, the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs host the UTS Shamrocks. And 4.50pm at University Oval, Macquarie University, the Mac Uni Warriors 
host the Newtown Breakaways. Time to recap what's happened in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition over the weekend. And I've got our lead caller here at RSN Carnival, Matthew Cox, on the line. Coxie, how are you? Very well, Pete. Just uh, defrosting after our adventure up to Bendigo on the weekend. But uh, it was a dominant performance from the Richmond Tigers, which we'll review in a moment. There's some other interesting games across round six of the Swiss Wellness VFL women's action and uh, well, fair to say I think the weather may have played a role in a couple of those outcomes. Yeah let's first of all head across to um, I think it was Rams Arena on the Saturday lunchtime at 12 o'clock where Carlton and the NT Thunder did battle and it was the Thunder with a commanding victory over the Blues 8-3-51 to 2-3-15. As expected they were dominant once again they kicked two goals in the opening Good result for Carlton that they got two scoring opportunities, the same amount as the Thunder in the first term. But beyond that, the Thunder took firm control and uh, dominated this match. Uh, Sedundri kicked three goals. Nalda, fourth, Motlock, Cranny and Chittick had singles, whilst the two goal kickers for Carlton were Harvey and Hardiman in uh, that game. And then the disposal getters... uh, Lee, sorry, for Carlton was uh, the highest possession getter on the ground. Just 19 touches. Foley, the best for Northern Territory with 17. We called on Saturday the Western Bulldogs versus Williamstown and Henry Turner Memorial Reserve. We're expecting a close game. Instead, the Bulldogs got their first win and in emphatic style, 12-11-83 to the Seagulls, 4-3-27. Yeah, went to Henry Turner Memorial Reserve thinking the Bulldogs would win, not by the margin that they ended up doing so. I thought the Bulldogs and Seagulls were roughly similar uh, trajectories across the start of the season. The Seagulls getting a win a couple of weeks ago, um, Bulldogs uh, getting their first premiership points on the weekend. So I thought they were there or thereabouts, but uh, Bulldogs, just looked a lot more structured and it had a lot more hunger for the footy. It was the the question or the area of concern on the weekend for Williamstown was the fact that they weren't hunting the football. They were leaving responsibility to just a couple of players to do the job. And at the end of the day, the the Bulldogs were able to run rampant. Uh, In the end, Frankie kicked five goals for the Western Bulldogs. Mifsid kicked three they were the two pillars up forward for the Bulldogs. Lachlan uh, contributed with a single, as did Hamilton, Wilds and Scott. Whilst for the Seagulls, it was Harris, Garner, Duffin and Cameron. And the two standout players for the Williamstown side were Jazz Garner and Jess Duffin. They Really, they, they were doing it all uh, for a lot of the day. And you can add to that group Jenna Brutton, who uh, racked up 27 touches on the weekend, Duffin with 26, Garner with 25. They were the leading disposal getters on the ground. And when you compare that to Brooke Lachlan, who was the highest disposal getter for the Western Bulldogs, she just got 19 touches on the weekend. So, again, being re- relied on uh, too few there for the Williamstown Football Club. Bulldogs also dominated the inside 50s on the weekend, 39-14, to 14, and they uh, had a dominant uh, forward line that was working very efficiently on the weekend. So positive signs for the Western Bulldogs. We've had a query over them over the start of the season and their lack of scoring ability, um, not really having an impact in games. 
well, they turned it around on the weekend. It was a good result for them. They've got a couple of interesting matches coming up which will uh, determine their season, whether they can make finals, because, of course, you think back, this is the VU Western Spurs of 2017, um, which we would have expected in 2018 to uh, shake the top four. So the next couple of weeks will determine whether the Bulldogs can continue on that trajectory. For Williamstown, I think there's going to be a bit of soul-searching uh, down there for the Seagulls. They've got to have a lot more contributors on the park if they want to make an impact in 2018. One result that did shake up the ladder a bit, Geelong 4-7-31, knocking off the reigning Premier's Darabin 2-4-16. Yeah, currently sitting on top of the ladder, the Cats... Um, Dominant performance up until three-quarter time. It looks as though they took the foot off the throttle in that final term uh, where Darabin kicked their only two goals for the game. They kicked 2-2 in the final term. Geelong didn't score, but uh, they've done enough uh, down at Cadinia Park to bring home the chocolate. It's interesting that their multiple goal scorer on the weekend for the Cats was Mia Ray Clifford, a player that we've usually seen down back uh, in her time in the VFLW, of course, with the St Kilda Sharks and now with Geelong, kicking two goals on the weekend for the Cats. So obviously testing her versatility, maybe with an eye towards AFLW in 2019 for the Cats. She kicked two goals on the weekend. Uh, Kerrick in her first outing for the Cats after crossing across from Carlton, kicked a goal as well. Focus with the other one. Simpson was the multiple goal kicker, the only goal scorer on the weekend for Darabin with their two goals. Interesting that the Falcons had more inside attacking 50s, 31 to 23. So more efficient going inside attacking 50 were the Cats, which uh, is also interesting considering the the Falcons had their uh, prized recruit up forward, Hannah Mouncey, not making an impact for the first time in 2018. So well done to the Cats defence for shutting that down. Looking at the disposal getters in this game, Rochelle Cranston racked up 26 touches and continues her her impressive VFLW season with the Cats. Nat Exxon racked up 22 touches, the uh, Brisbane Lions player playing for the Falcons. And the other notable uh, disposal getters were Lily Mithen against her old side uh, in Geelong, now playing for Darabin, racked up 21 touches. And uh, that player we were talking about before obviously got midfield time because Mary Clifford racked up 20 touches as well. Looking to Sunday and a game that we thought was going to be rather close and could jumpstart the Saints season turned out to be the opposite. Uh, Hawthorne 6-9-45 defeating the Southern Saints 1-6-12. Yeah, we we thought uh, there might have been a bit of optimism considering Hawthorne uh, in their last outing went down to Collingwood. It was a bit of a shock loss. We thought it might open up an opportunity for the Southern Saints, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. Uh, they did have seven scoring shots, though. The Southern Saints, unfortunately, were unable to convert them to goals. Uh, Hawthorne. Just the superior side once again. Their goal kickers on the weekend. Gilda kicked two. Hutchins uh, kicked one goal. Luke, Perkins and Flanagan uh, also single goal kickers for Hawthorne. Whilst for the Southern Saints, McQueen was the player that stood on top for them and slotted their only major for the match. And it was 
really dominance from the word go uh, for Hawthorne, although the Southern Saints had uh, two scoring shots in the opening term compared to the one for Hawthorne. The Saints, though, unable to convert, as I already mentioned, they only kicked two behinds in that term. And then for the rest of the game, Hawthorne put the pedal to the metal and uh, away they went and uh, had a nice handy victory just to reset or restabilise after that loss to Collingwood. And the final game of the round, we were at to call it Bendigo. We thought Melbourne Uni were going to win this one because of their ins, Grierson, Hardiman, Stanton, Ashmore. Richmond had one in in Bernardi, and it came through for the Richmond Tigers, 6-6-42 to 2-1-13. Yeah, apart from a five-minute window towards the end of the second quarter, Melbourne Uni just looked clunky. They... They just didn't look right. Whether it was an off day, whether they were a bit shaken by the weather, who knows. But um, they just didn't look themselves. Uh, my first opportunity to see them in 2018, that's not what you'd expect, especially from the players that they brought in. You were expecting them to use the ball a lot more efficiently uh, around the ground and and uh, just move the ball quicker than what they did. They were unable to do that, whether it was um, the fact that they had an off day or whether it was because of the pressure being applied by Richmond was just so superior that uh, they cracked Melbourne Uni. Um, Didn't feel like that, but um, they certainly were a lot more structured, good game awareness, good composure, and used the ball well, Richmond. Uh, Tessa Riero, one of the standout players, for the Tigers, just a bullock in the middle um, and using her weight. The other player that really impressed us on the weekend was Louise Stevenson. Did a bit of a job on Caitlin Ashmore, shut her down. And uh, I think, as I, as I said on the weekend, I think she relished the challenge of uh, having to take on Ashmore, a former teammate, because Stevenson ha- has played for Melbourne University in the past as well as being a Giants player. But uh, I think, uh, as I said on the weekend, they found a role for her across half-back. She's a bit like the gatekeeper at the moment, Louise Stevenson, and she's doing a, a fantastic job. Emmy King, she kicked a goal. She spent most of the time up forward in the first half and rucked for the second half and uh, provided a couple of pieces of brilliance with Lauren Tessariero in the middle. Um, so just using her ruck work skills. As I said, she kicked a goal. Wakefield and Bernardi were the other goal kickers. Bernardi in her first outing for Richmond. She was impressive uh, in stages of the game, which is what you'd expect given it's an, a relatively new structure. But she'll only improve the more time that, that she spends with the Richmond forward line. So looking forward to seeing the develops over the coming weeks. The goal kickers for Melbourne University, Caitlin Ashmore, in her first appearance for the Muggers, kicked one, Angelus Angelus, the other goal kicker for Melbourne Uni on the weekend. And beyond that five-minute window where those two goals were scored, uh, they really didn't give a yelp, which uh, is a bit disappointing heading towards a big game for the Muggers this weekend. But Richmond, they're a side full of confidence at the moment. And, uh, well, on their day, they may be able to push it to anyone. The teams that had the bye, Essendon, Casey Demons and Collingwood, three sides, but they'll all be back in action this week. As we jump ahead to round seven, let's get your tips, Coxie. Saturday, Skybus Stadium, otherwise known as Frankston Oval, 11.15am in the morning, a tick in the dew off the grass. The Southern Saints playing host to the NT Thunder. 
Yeah, I don't know what the NT Thunder have done. Uh, an early start at Rams Arena and then down to Skybus Stadium, two of the windier venues uh, in the uh, Swiss Wellness VFL women's competition. You'd expect the Northern Territories Thunder to continue their dominant performances uh, this weekend against the Southern Saints. Uh, hopefully the Saints can be a little more efficient. They have won a couple of close encounters and Sky Stadium. So depending on the weather and the wind on the weekend, uh, they might have a sneak little chance, but uh, very minimal. I think the Thunder will get the job done in this one. Let's have a look at Warri Park Oakley. It's the home of the Chargers and the home of this VFLW game, which bounces down Saturday at 1pm. We'll be live on air at 12 as part of our RSN Carnival match coverage to bring you Collingwood and Carlton. Interesting game. You'd expect Collingwood coming off uh, the, the buys. Um, you'd, you'd expect them to get the win. They are one of the better sides of the competition. Really depends what side Carlton put out on the park. They've, uh, for the first part of the season, as we've commented, uh, put in a fairly strong side. They've started rotating players. They're AFLW players, I should say. They've started rotating. Uh, throughout this side in this mid part of the season. So, unsure what to expect from Carlton. You'd think Collingwood should get the job done at Warrawee Park. Saturday, 4pm at Casey Fields. The Casey Demons host the Western Bulldogs. Uh, this is a battle of ninth versus 10th. And a, a battle for the 2018 season. This really shapes it up for both sides. The Bulldogs now with a win on the board. Uh, looked a, a much better side than what the scoreboard has suggested uh, in the early part of the season. I'm going to tip them. I've got uh, a, a little more confidence now that uh, they can start to get a bit of momentum going uh, for the rest of 2018. A little bit of a question mark still hovering over the case. They are on their home deck, but I am going with the Bulldogs in this one. Saturday night, 6.30pm at Melville Oval in Hamilton. It is the pride game between Melbourne Uni and Darabin. Yeah, nice to see this game back down in Hamilton. We were down there last year and it was a ripping contest between these two sides. A little bit different coming uh, into this one this year. Darabin have had a much better start to 2018 than they did in 2017. So they go there. Uh, with a little bit of fire in the belly after getting knocked off by Geelong last weekend. Uh, Melbourne University was a shocking performance on the weekend. They'll be looking to rebound. Have to go with the Falcons at the moment. Uh, just think they're the better of the two at the moment uh, with the form coming in uh, beyond last weekend. Uh, so tipping them to make it two from two in Hamilton for Darabin. And finally, our RSN Carnival match of the day on Sunday on air at 11am for an 11.45am bounce down. Box Hill City Oval is the venue. Hawthorne versus Essendon. Yeah, look, I think Hawthorne will win this game, but I'm curious to see how far Essendon have come. It's a bit of a yardstick for them, given they met uh, Hawthorne back in round one. Um Essendon last outing against Richmond. They've had uh, the Queen's birthday long weekend off and uh, round six they had the bye. So they've had a couple of weeks to sort out their forward line issues. I think they're okay now coming out of a half back. They've still got a few uh, areas of improvement, but they seem to have 
changed something or altered it slightly to uh, Im- improve that con- connectivity between half and the wing. It's the entries inside attacking 50 and being able to capitalise on the opportunities. It's what hurt them against Richmond, um, and it's also what hurt them against the Southern Saints. So looking to see whether they can fix those areas of the game and just how far they can take it up to Hawthorne. But they should be able to win this one, the Hawks, and continue their, so far, pretty strong season. Geelong, Richmond and Weemstown having the bye this weekend. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to your coverage of the game on Sunday. Yeah, good luck on Saturday down at Warrawee Park. Should be an interesting game with Collingwood and Carlton. And then, yeah, looking forward to Sunday morning at Box Hill City Oval, Hawthorne and Essendon. Turning our attention to Tasmania now and the Tasmanian State League's women's competition. Round eight played over the weekend. Bernie 8-4-52, defeating the Tigers 4-3-27. Glenorchy 4-2-26, got over Clarence 2-5-17. Launceston having the bye. Moving ahead to round nine, both games on the Sunday, both starting at 12pm. Clarence host Bernie at Jelston Bay Oval, while the Tigers host Launceston at the Twins Oval, Glenorchy having the bye. To the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1 competition, round eight played on the weekend. Christie's Beach 2-3-15 defeated Adelaide Uni 1-4-10. Fitzroy 10-4-64 defeated Port Adelaide 3-5-23. And Salisbury, 5-9-39, defeated Morphville Park, 4-2-26. Looking ahead to round nine action, Saturday night, 7pm at the Fitzroy Sports Club. The Fitzroy Lions hosting Adelaide University. Sunday, 3pm at Alberton Oval, Port Adelaide host Morphville Park. And 3.30pm at John Bice Memorial Oval, Christie's Beach host Salisbury. Time to find out what's happening in the Bond University QWAFL. And joining us on the line is Premiership coach with Cooling Gatta Tweed, Aaron Russell. And Aaron, safe to say the weather a bit warmer up in Queensland than it is here in Melbourne. Yeah, that's it. Um, and it's a lot easier to come back out and play after half time. You don't have to don't have to do a half an hour warm up again just to <laughs> just to get back out there. So no, it's good. It's it's good. Good weather for footy. Actually, the days have been been, been brilliant. Let's have a look at that round 10 action. Now, three teams had the bye. Wilson Grange, uh, Maroochydore and Coolangatta Tweed all had the week off. Um, first of all, it all kicked off on Friday night at Leishon Park where Cooparoo, 8-11-59, beat the reigning Premier Saronga South Brisbane, 4-7-31. Yeah, 100%. Got off to a slow start with Cooparoo uh, on, on the Friday night, mainly mainly from the seven behinds they kicked. It wasn't until the second quarter that they registered a goal. Uh, Yuronga come out pretty strong um, leading into the first and at half time. Um, and Kuparu took over the lead for the second half and, and it didn't change from there. Uh, as you can see, um, yeah, Yuronga finding it hard to score um, after that first quarter, only registering a goal in three quarters thereafter. Uh, whereas Kuparu kept piling the piling them on. So um, yeah, look, they got a got a got off to a slow start. Um, the Cooper ran over the top and Yeronga ran out of legs. Um, you know, Wushner bobbing up three goals again. Uh, Govan, who's been a defender, uh, um, you know, in her early years and, and she's having a great year up forward and, uh, sitting on the, on the Suns list at the moment and seems to be going pretty well there. So, uh, good also to see, uh, Ali Anderson back. Um, for Cooper uh, here we know the quality she brings and, um, she's the sort of player that they're going to need if they're going to challenge, 
uh, Yeronga come season end, especially with a few of their injuries. And um, they had a couple of good youngsters bob up as well. Uh, Yeronga, um, on the other hand, you know, they're, they're still building that list and uh, they've got some, some good youth coming through there. Uh, probably a name you'll recognise, Peter. Kalinda Howis played a, a game for them on the weekend. Um, however, didn't register on the goal kickers, so that's probably an interesting one. Um, but she's coming back from, from injury and I think she was, uh, she was rested uh, pretty well in, in that game, but, um, yeah, Cooperu, too strong, uh, coming away, 59 to 31. On the Saturday, uh, UQ Red Lions, 10-7-67, knocking off Bond University, 3-7-25. Ah, the battle of the unis. UQ getting the chocolates this time and some sweet revenge for them. Um, I know they were pretty happy to come away with that wind and win and we were, uh, we've been talking about UQ building and I think they'll be one to watch. Um, I know they're coming from a long way back on the ladder, uh, but I think they'll play finals still. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're really starting to build and they've got some some uh, quality players that you'll know pretty well. Frederick Torb kicked two goals on the weekend. Kate McCarthy playing her first game for UQ uh, on the weekend and I know they were pretty happy to have her pull on, uh, pull on the jersey. Um, Gabby Collingwood uh, having a cracker, kicking two goals uh, named in their best there on the weekend. So, you know, look, they're looking pretty strong list. You have a look at them on paper now, and Collingwood, Traub, Webb, Hunt, uh, McCarthy, um, Hunt, uh, Blair. Uh, they've got a few Lions girls. I think they will be a strong show. Can't wait to see them. Um, next week, but we'll, we'll get to that game in a second. Yeah, indeed. I'm eyeing that. Round 11, first of all, Bond University having the bye. It all kicks off 3.45pm Saturday at Leishon Park where the uh, Devils host Coolangatta Tweed. Yeah, Devils host Cooley uh, here. This this is shaping up to be pretty much a must-win for Yeronga. Um If they want to stay in touch and they want a chance of defending um, their premiership title, this is a must-win for them. Um, you know, we've seen them now been, uh, jumped by a percentage, um, against, uh, from UQ. Um, they got to win this game. Uh, we're getting to the closing in on the pointy end of the season and this is a must win for them. Um, same, same deal for Cooley, really. Uh, you know, those, I think that sort of third and fourth is going to be made up between Cooley, Bond, UQ and Yeronga, um, as we've known for quite some time now. So, uh, it's a must win for them as well. I think, on the weekend, Cooley could be too strong, but um, this could could turn out to be a pretty close game. So, hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully it won't disappoint for any viewers heading down to uh, Leishon, um on Saturday afternoon to see Yeronga and Cooley. Four forty-five p.m. on Saturday, Giffen Park, Cooper Roo hosts Maruchidor. Yeah, look, this will be. Um, I think this will be should be a game uh, where Cooper Roo can try a few things. They're not going to get um, some of their they're useful stars, Tani and Talia back. So they've really got to see how that, where they can fill in. And I think at the moment, um, the, the area that they really need to get some, um, some traction is in, in the midfield. So I think this might be a, it might be a good game to, to see, throw a few things around and, and, and see who might make that final mix up. I'm heading into the back half of the season. I think Cooper will be too strong at home for Maruchidor. And finally, Saturday, 4.45pm at Griffith University Campus Oval 2. Cue the Rocky theme music for this one. UQ Red Lions versus Wilston Grange. Yeah, I reckon so. Um, I'm penciling this in as the match of the round. 
Um, as I said, and I know, you know, you look at the last time they played each other and you probably wouldn't think this is going to be a, a very close game by any means. Um, and the way that uh, Wilson had been tracking, um, many probably wouldn't tip UQ getting close in this one, but uh, I think they're building. Um, they've got a they've got a good list now, although they always have, but this year they were looking down the barrel of a good list, but they're starting to play. I think their, their form um, is improving and um, not enough from a tipping and upset here, but I think uh, this will give us a good indication of the strength of UQ side coming into the back of the season um, here, and I think I'm, I'm hoping this will be a perler. Um, you know, but really looking for so uh, this then to push push Wilson all the way here. Um, who's going to be the first to knock him off? Could it be UQ this weekend? Uh, time will tell. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Football and RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round 11 of the QWAFL. Hey, pleasure as always, mate, and uh, enjoy the week. Time to find out what's happening in the AFL London Women's Competition, and I've got on the line Wandsworth Demons and England Vixens coach in Mitch Scully. And Mitch, just before we turn our attention to London, great to see some women's taster sessions going on around the country, um, up towards Scotland uh, in West Lothian uh, and over in Liverpool, the Merseyside Saints, um, all trying to encourage women to join their club to hopefully spread the word of women's Aussie rules. Yeah, I saw that um, this week there's been a couple advertised and they're popping up in Germany, um, in yeah, Scandinavia, it's, it's really good. So it's not just the UK, it's all over Europe. Um, and when you've got people... You know, like you've probably um, spoken with Lisa Wilson, people like that who are really passionate about growing the game. Um, yeah, it's awesome. So let's focus in on the hot spot of footy in Europe. That is the AFL London Women's League. And in the Premiership, two games over the weekend. First of all, you weren't there in the coach's chair, but they did the job without you. Your Wandsworth Demons 4-5-29, defeating the North London Lions 2-2-14. Yeah, good result. Um, maybe I'm not needed after all, but yeah, it's typically close game between the top of the table side, so very happy to come away as a victor again. Um, a bit of an interesting backdrop to the game. There was a traveler, traveler community parked on the side of the ground, so we had a few interested onlookers in their caravans over the weekend. Um, you don't get that anywhere else in the world, I don't think. So, yeah, something different in London as usual. Um, now, speaking to our coaches that filled in, they were telling us that the uh, usual suspects for the Lions, the Turner Rabbitans, Laura and Rania, um, apparently they were very dominant. And then an Italian player, Chiara Palazzo, who played a really good game. So, yeah, obviously, you know, um, a strong team, the Lions, when they've got players like that, uh, really happy for us to get the win. From our perspective, uh, B. Valencisi and Laura Keeley in the middle. Uh, Trucker, Jeffers, down at halfback, played really well for the Demons. And we finally got our co-captain, Hayley Noodles Camp- Canton, back on the park. She's uh, been injured all season so far. Great to have Noodles back there for that 15-point win over the Lions. The other game was at Duke's Meadows, where West London Wildcats 6-3-39 knocked off Wimbledon Hawks 2-3-15. Yeah, a result that was probably expected over there at um, West London. So the Wildcats, Wildcats, sorry, they're gradually building. Um, since they've had Zali Tuvi back and with Alex Farrell up forward, they've been uh, playing some good footy, putting on a few goals each week. Unfortunately for them, Christina Palambaris, that's their uh, ruck. She was the ruck person, I guess, for their premiership last year in the conference grade. She's had to, well, she's heading home. I'm not sure what the reasons are, obviously visa or job or life, whatever. Um, but I guess that's something we have to get used to over here in London. So, 
yeah, that's a shame for them, but they're having some good results lately. Uh, for the Hawks, still holding on to fourth spot. I think they're just lacking the firepower. They don't seem to be able to put the score on the board to keep up with the top three at the moment. Let's have a look at the Women's Conference Division. Round six over the weekend at Dukes Meadows. The Putney Magpies, 3-10-28-2. Good for the West London Wildcats, just the one behind. Yeah, that's a good result for Putney. So they jump up into third spot. And in that division, it's only a top three final series this season. Um, for them, Rachel Howes and Dee Kelly were apparently leading the way, as they typically do. Um, and it sets up a really, really exciting end of the season. So there's, each team has four games left. We've got uh, the Swans and Demons on three wins, the Wildcats and Putney on two wins. So it really could go either way. And one game to be played uh, this weekend. Yeah, so uh, earlier in the year, uh, the Demons and Hawks, we had a week off for Epsom Derby because our clubs, you know, we have a big event, go down to the Epsom Derby. This week, the whole league has a bye uh, for Royal Ascot. So plenty of London's finest will be at the races this weekend, but not us. We're, we've got a footy game on. So uh, Wimbledon's ground in Mottsburg Park. They'll be hosting the Demons. Now, you know, traditional rivals played in the first ever grand final for the women's comp in London. Uh, but I think hopefully the Demons can get the win. The last time we played them was the pre-season cup and the game went to overtime and then golden point overtime um, with the Demons coming out on top. But yeah, I think since then, as the season's progressed, we've probably gotten stronger and stronger. So we like to think we can get the win. And for the England Vixens, your squad's been announced uh, for who you'll prepare to take on over to Cork for the Euro Cup. Really uh, happy with the squad we've put together. So we've got 16 players. We've got seven representing Nottingham Scorpions. Uh, we've got three from Birmingham Uni. Now all of them are making their England debut. Uh, two from the Demons. One from Wimbledon Hawks, but Lisa Wilson, who will be playing in, is playing in Germany at the moment. Alex Salter is playing in Melbourne at the moment, and we've also got Chloe Hall, who's currently listed as a free agent. Where she's not, she's not aligned to a club, but she still managed to get picked for England because she's a great player when she's on the park. Um, so yeah, seven players making their international debut. Um, as we know, we've talked about it last week. The Euro Cup, it's a really good stepping stone playing for England Vixens before sort of trying to surge and push into the GB Swan squad and hopefully you know, hopefully a good bunch of these guys will be playing the International Cup in a couple of years' time. Well, Mitch, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football and we look forward to catching up with you uh, next week to review the game, your traditional rival clash, the Demons versus the Hawks in the Women's Premiership. Thanks as always, Pete. I'll catch you next week. Well, that concludes things here for another week on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Again, a quick reminder that we're bringing you two VFL women's matches this weekend. Saturday from 12 noon at Worry Park in Oakley. It's Collingwood versus Carlton. Then Sunday from 11 a.m. at Box Hill City Oval, it's Hawthorne versus Essendon. You can listen in by tuning to RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. You can also download the TuneIn app and just search for RSN Carnival 2, or alternatively, just go to rsn.net.au, click on Digital Radio, then click on Carnival. It's simple as that. I'm Peter Holden. It's bye for now.